Well, good morning. I would uh, invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 16. We will consider uh, verses 1 to 16. It's Romans chapter 16, verses 1 to 16. If you don't have it in your lap, in front of you, it will be on the screens as well. Uh, But uh, Big Woods Bible Church, hear the word of God to us this morning. Romans 16, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlygon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philagagus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Thus ends the reading of God's inspired and an errant word. May he write its eternal truths on our hearts. For the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege and joy it is to gather here this morning as the family of God. God, with your word open before us, we just ask, we beg, we plead that you would speak to us. We're so thankful, God, that we have, have your word in a language that we can understand and that we can, we can read it. And as we read it, we come to know you and what you require of us. So God, as we do just that this morning, we pray that you would empower us by your spirit 
to understand, but also to apply. Help us, God, to live in light of what your word says to us this morning. We ask, God, that you would do this work among us and that you would do it for our good and for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus with great thanksgiving. Amen. Now, I don't know if you've had a um, similar experience as me, but have you ever set out to read the Bible in a year and you get to numbers, specifically like the genealogies, and for some reason you just lose steam? It seems to me that uh, Numbers chapter 3 is where reading plans go to die. You've just made it through Leviticus, you've read all of the laws, and now you come to the first of many genealogies. Now, you, you don't want to read this list of names because what does this matter to me today, you wonder? And so slowly, to be sure, you're less and less drawn to your time in the Word. And then it's sporadic, and so sporadic that it's hardly helpful anymore, and so you give up. I say all of this to say that, one, this is a common experience, and if you think that you're the only one dealing with this, you're not. So talk to someone about it, and, and get some help to keep at it. But secondly, I say this to remind you that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us, including the list of names. And in fact, what I want to draw out from our text this morning, which I'll remind you, is a list of names, what I want to draw out is the encouragement that we can take from these lists. To be completely upfront, however, these lists do require uh, some different kind of digging than we might be used to. Uh, reading through the rest of Romans requires work and study, but when we come to these names, it takes some different skills to observe from the text. And, and really, that's all that I want to do this morning. Uh, it is my custom to give you what I think is the main point of the passage, because it's my conviction that is shared with Pastor Tim that the point of the passage is the point of the sermon. And so you may ask, how, like, how do you get a main point from a list of names? And I think that's a great question. So I'll tell you the main point and then explain why I think that's the case. Here's what I think the main point is from our passage this morning. It takes a church to spread the gospel and you have a role to play. So again, it takes a church to spread the gospel, and you have a role to play. Well, why do I think that? Consider what we have talked about for the past several weeks as, as Paul has written to this church about his hopes to take the gospel to Spain. In these final verses, he writes of the part each person has played or will play in accomplishing that task. 
Paul, as, as theologically focused as he is, knows that ministry is nothing without people. To be sure, he will mind the depths of the doctrine of justification by faith alone, but he knows that he is doing so to real people. And when it comes to getting the gospel to Spain, he knows he needs people to help him with that. And so the last portion of this letter addresses people. People who will help get the gospel to Spain as they have already helped Paul in his ministry thus far. So before we get to to walking through the text, I'm just going to front load some application for us. The first point of application, and you see this on your note sheet in front of you, is our ministry as a church requires people. What role are you playing? You've heard of the need of that exists in children's ministry or, or greeters' ministry recently. Might you have a role to play in spreading the gospel in that way? If we are a body that is going to share the gospel with our kids or with non-believers who come through our doors on a Sunday morning, we need people to do that. Or maybe you've seen the requests on the prayer points that come from our, our Wednesday evening prayer gatherings of those who are sharing the gospel with friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances. Do you pray for them regularly? Or, or even follow up with them to see how their conversations are going? Or to offer some sort of help to them? It would be great encouragement to those people. But I think it's also our responsibility to come alongside them and help them spread the gospel in that way. And so that's why I think the point of this passage is that it takes a church to spread the gospel and that you have a role to play. Paul relied on the church at Rome in his missionary endeavors. And so we should rely on one another in our spreading the gospel here and abroad. So let's get into the text and see why that is the case. Everybody look at verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria. In this verse, we meet Phoebe. Paul calls Phoebe a servant of the church at Sancria. Now, what is not readily apparent in the English that I assume most of us here this morning are reading right now is the word that Paul uses. Paul calls Phoebe a diakonos. Does that sound familiar? The word in Greek is where we get our English word deacon. Some of your translations may even say deacon of the church. So you may be wondering why that is the case. Why do some translations choose the word deacon and others servant? Well, plain and simply, there's debate on whether or not the office of deacon is open to women or we could say whether or not the Bible allows deaconesses. Now, I want to consider that for just a minute here before applying that conclusion to our church specifically. God has designed the church with two offices, elders, which is synonymous with pastor, and deacons. Now, Scripture is clear in places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 
that the office of elder is reserved for qualified men. Paul roots this instruction in the created order and is pretty clear. Instructions for deacons, however, is not as straightforward. And, and just to be completely honest, I think that it is, it's possible to read through the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3 and come to a well-reasoned conclusion for or against deaconesses. So before I state my conclusion, which is the unanimous conclusion of the elders, and apply it to our body, I want to state that this topic is not something that we can be dogmatic on. It's not a black and white issue. Paul's instructions from chapters 14 and 15 apply to this discussion as this is an area that good and faithful Christians disagree on, but we should not disparage one another over this disagreement. Diakonos is used 29 times in the New Testament, and only in three of those instances do we find that the office of deacon is definitely what is being referenced. Romans 16.1 is not one of those places. If you're interested, the verses are Philippians 1.1, where Paul addresses his letter to the elders and the deacons of the church at Philippi. Remember, elders and deacons are the two offices of the church. And then again, uh, twice in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 12, where Paul is laying out the qualifications for deacons. And so based on the convictions that one holds from reading the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, determines how diakonos is translated here in Romans 16. All that to say, if you think Paul's instructions reserve the office of deacon for men, Phoebe is a servant. A servant of the church like any faithful Christian would be. If you think Paul does not limit the office of deacon to men, but allows either men or women to serve in this office, Phoebe could be an example of, of a woman serving as a deacon. Now I, along with the elders here at Big Woods, see the office of deacon open to qualified men and women. Therefore, I think it's right to see Phoebe as a deaconess of the church at Sancria. A brief note as to why this is, order, why this is the case uh, before moving on. Four uh, reasons uh, that I think Phoebe should be considered a deaconess. Uh, if you want a more detailed explanation, there's a book that Pastor Tim and I went through with the elders, uh, with the deacons, uh, called Deacons by Matt Smethurst. It was on the bookshelf at one point. I don't think there are any copies available now. If you would like one, I can, I can get one for you. Um, but he dedicated an appendix, like 15 pages or so, to presenting both sides of the debate really well, and he ends up siding with affirming deaconesses as well. Uh, that would be a great resource for you. As a side note, though, this conversation of, of deaconesses only applies when a church has both biblically mandated offices functioning as prescribed by the Bible. That is, a church without elders that has deacons that are basically elders has other things they need to figure out before answering the question, can women be deacons? That said, four brief reasons why I think the office of deacon is open to qualified women. First, unlike the office of elder, Scripture nowhere forbids women from being in this office. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. 
Nothing similar is ever stated for the function of deacon. Elders serve the church by teaching the Bible and leading spiritually, whereas deacons serve the church by meeting physical needs as modeled in Acts 6, where seven men of good repute are chosen to serve tables and take care of widows. I see this as a prototype of what a deacon is to do in the body of Christ. Secondly, if you were to read through the qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3, I think just reading through the passage, it seems to leave open that women can serve in this role. Consider 1 Timothy 3, 10 and 11. Speaking of deacons, it says, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Two things that I find interesting about this passage. First, there are no similar qualifications listed for the wife of an elder. Well, why is that? I think it's because what's really in view are deaconesses. The word translated their wives could also be just simply translated as the women, or we would say the women deacons. So the flow of the text in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you were to read it straight through, it seems as if Paul is giving instructions first to female deacons uh, in verse 11, to male deacons in verse 12, then, all back, then back to all deacons in verse 13. You can consider that later. Third, uh, in the original Greek when Paul calls Phoebe a diakonos, he uses a masculine ending joined with a female name. Ancient language Greek has masculine endings. We don't have that in English necessarily. Uh, and so he says diakonos, masculine, referring to a woman. And so instead of describing Phoebe's character as someone who is servant-hearted, I think he's referring to Phoebe in a specific office of the church. Fourthly and finally, the history of the church is filled with examples of faithful pastors and theologians who argued for and allowed deaconesses based on what Scripture says. Consider Clement of Alexandria who lived from 150 to 215 uh, he, AD. He commented on 1 Timothy 3 and said, We are also aware of all the things that the noble Paul prescribed on this subject of female deacons in one of the two epistles to Timothy. So for those reasons, I think it is right to see Phoebe as a deaconess. In fact, one of the early church instruction books that was written in 380 AD lists one of the responsibilities of deaconesses as delivering letters. And that's exactly what Phoebe is doing here. She is delivering the letter. She is responsible for carrying the letter from where Paul wrote it in Corinth to Rome, to this church. She would also oversee both the copying and the distribution process. And that is why in verse 2, and look there with me, Paul says, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Paul wants this church to welcome her in the Lord. Something he's already addressed in this letter. He wants them to take care of her and meet any needs she might have while she is in Rome. Making sure that the letter gets to who it needs to get to. The church at Rome would need to supply her with, with people to copy the letter with parchment on which to copy it. She can't just go back to the church office and you know, put it on the, the photocopier and hit 
copy 40, 50 times. People would have to write this down, and they would need the supplies uh, to write it on. Phoebe would need a place to stay while she was there, and, and many other things to ensure that the churches that Paul is addressing in this letter could be built up in their faith by Paul's words. And Paul further commends Phoebe and says that she has been a patron of many and of myself. Calling her a patron means that she was most likely someone of some financial means who used her means to meet the needs of others. Phoebe used what God had blessed her with to meet the needs of the people in the church, including Paul. She was part of the church, and she knew that she had a role to play. And and just to make explicit what is implicit in this line of reasoning is that women have work to do in ministry. God has designed the church to require women and men in their God-given designs to have purpose in the church, the family of God. And, And if we as a church want to function biblically, we need women who will work hard in ministry, as many of you are already doing. I'm so thankful for the many women serving in our body Many working behind the scenes to to meet the physical needs and to love and care in a biblically faithful way. To the ladies doing that, excel still more and know that we need you and are thankful for you. May we have many Phoebes in our body who, who play a crucial role in spreading the gospel through their service. Now, if I'm... If I'm completely honest, I, um, I almost cut all of that from my notes, and I don't know if you were bored by it. I thought it was helpful. Um, even as, as late as this morning, I'm, I'm reading through and I'm like, I, I, just, I just don't know. So I hope that that was helpful. I'm not sure that it was. I'll leave that up to the Holy Spirit. But I decided to keep it. Because this is something that, that, that we as elders think is important. And there is warrant for the discussion of, of deaconesses from this text. Now, to be sure, we're not having a commissioning service today for deaconesses because there are many things to consider. One of which being the consciences of, of any here who would disagree It would be inappropriate and unloving to move forward with officially recognizing deaconesses if there are, as I'm sure there are, people in our body who disagree with the conclusion that I've drawn. There may be further conversation we need to have on this matter, but know that it's a conversation worth having, and we want to have it. So whatever your conclusion is, this is true. No person is left out from the responsibility of serving in the church. Everyone, every single one of you, has a role to play. And we must be involved in gospel ministry wherever God has us. And I think that's exactly what we see further in verses 3 through 16. 
Paul lists 26 individuals. And each of these people are working to spread the gospel. Now while it may seem unimportant and like something that we could just skip over, oh, another list of names, I, I, don't, I don't know any of those people, I'm just going to move right on. I think there's a lot we can learn. Paul uses the word greet 18 times. 18 instances. And we meet several people who were necessary to the work of the gospel. And, and this list is truly fascinating. There are Roman names. There are Latin names. Greek names. Jewish names. There are names of wealthy, prominent families. As well as names of slaves listed. And each of these names represents someone involved in the ministry of the church. Someone involved in doing their part. There are 26 individuals named in the list, as well as as several households and churches that are named specifically. Eighteen of the names are Greek, eight are Latin, seven are Jewish, at least three are slaves, and eight of them are women. What amazing diversity exists in this body. And, and it's not some conjured up diversity for diversity's sake. It's evidence of the unifying work of the gospel that, that brings people together that have nothing in common except Christ. And they know that's enough. And so what I would like to do is just go through this list of names and see what role each person, as far as we can tell, had in spreading the gospel. It seems like Paul moves from people he knows really well to people he's only heard of. And, and remember, Paul has never been to this church. But he knows these people and he loves them. Even though for many of them, I'm sure he's never met them. He has only heard of the ministry that they are doing. In verses 3 to 5, he he seems to list co-workers in ministry from Greece and Asia. Then in verses 6 to 7, he moves uh, moves to the first missionaries to Rome, the people who brought the gospel to Rome. Then in 8 through 10, he greets people he knows personally. And finally, in 11 to 15, he greets people he has heard of, but doesn't really seem to know. So let's look at verse 3. In verse 3, We see Prisca, a.k.a. Priscilla, and Aquila, a married couple who Paul calls my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. You probably recognize these names from from some of Paul's other letters or, or the book of Acts. And these two in particular have been with Paul in many different places. After being kicked out of Rome previously by the emperor Claudius, They meet Paul in Corinth, and there they were tent makers like Paul, and decided to leave Corinth and join Paul on his trip to Ephesus. When Paul leaves Ephesus, they stay, and that is where they meet Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila, according to Acts 18.26, took Apollos aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. This couple graciously corrected Apollos, and Paul calls them his fellow workers. But not only that, 
He says they risked their necks for him. Now, that, that's not just some cute expression that, that shows that they took a risk for Paul. That's literal. Roman citizens w- would not be executed by crucifixion. They would be executed by decapitation. They risked their necks for Paul. The help they gave Paul, whatever it was, could have quite literally cost them their heads. And Paul is thankful to them for the sacrifices they made to advance the gospel. But not only that, all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. And surely they they had the gift of hospitality because they hosted the church in their home in more than one city. And we don't know exactly what sacrifice they made to risk their necks, but it must have been something big for all of the Gentile churches to give thanks for them and for Paul to commend them in this way. Even though we don't know exactly what it was, we can learn from them that our involvement in spreading the gospel comes with a cost that is worth it. They were willing to give up their lives so that the gospel would go forward. So I'll ask, what about you? You may not have to be willing to to lay down your life, but surely there will be some sort of social cost for following Christ and spreading the gospel. Or maybe we could think about the missionaries that we support. Many of them are doing in parts, are spreading the gospel in parts of the world that could more imminently than what we face here cost them their lives. We need to pray for them and be bold with them. If spreading the gospel takes a church and you have a role to play, Are you ready to pay a cost for what you believe? I hope this isn't news to you, but but the world hates the gospel. And if we hold to it like we should, the world will hate us too. And, And when that's the case, just know that you're in good company. Because as Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Be ready to pay that cost. But also, know that the gospel is worth whatever risk you take. It's worth risking your neck to see it spread as more people come to know Jesus as Lord. So we should be willing with Priscilla and Aquila to risk our necks. Continuing in verse 5, we meet Paul's beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. What a way for your name to be remembered in Scripture. Paul obviously loved this man who was the first to trust Christ under his preaching in Asia. And that's all we know about him. In verse 6, we see a woman named Mary 
who worked hard for the church at Rome. We don't know anything else about this woman except for the fact that Paul says she worked hard. What a testimony of her desire to see the gospel spread. May we share in that desire with her. In verse 7, Paul greets Andronicus and Junia, who he calls my kinsmen, which means, like Paul, they were Jews. But not only that, they spent time in prison, possibly with Paul, but definitely for the sake of the gospel. He offers two things of note about this missionary couple. They are well known to the apostles, and they were Christians before Paul was. They're likely well-known because of their missionary endeavors. Maybe their ministry bore much fruit. Or maybe they were just faithful, hard workers who did what God called them to do. But either way, they've been following Jesus for longer than Paul. Something Paul felt necessary to bring up. And just an interesting thing for us to consider. In verse 8, Paul greets Ampliatus, who Paul Paul calls his beloved in the Lord. Ampliatus was likely a slave. Yet because of the gospel, Paul loves him. But but not only that, there was a discovery uh, in 1881 that showed that this man was well-loved by his church family as well. Archaeologists found what is most likely this man's grave in the catacombs of Rome. And and you walk into these catacombs, and it's dirty, dingy, dusty. But you come to the grave of, of Ampliatus, and it is the most decorated grave there. In the family of God, There is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. We are all one in Christ. And just as Paul loved this man, his church did too. Because they were one in Christ. In verse 9, we see Urbanus is greeted as a fellow worker. And Stachys is beloved. In verse 10, Apelles is greeted as as one who was approved in Christ. That's interesting. Why why is Apelles singled out as one who is approved in Christ? There there could be many reasons. Some commentators say he's, he's saying he's approved, as in justified in Christ. But Paul could and should say that about any believer. Some have said that that maybe Paul knew Apelles struggled with assurance of salvation and he wanted to encourage him. Possibly. I think, though, what what is most likely is that Paul is recounting some sort of suffering that that Apelles has gone through because the word that he uses for approved carries with it the connotation of, of having been tested. So Paul is saying that that this guy was tested and he came through the suffering faithful to God and he's commending him for it. Then we meet the family of Aristobulus in verse 10 and in verse 11, Herodian and the family of Narcissus. 
Aristobulus is, is likely not a believer, as he does not get greeted, but rather those in his house, which is the same for Narcissus. And, and in each of these, it's not hard to imagine in first century Rome that Paul is again greeting slaves who are in Christ, those who belonged to these households. Then in verse 12, we come to my favorite people on the list, Tryphena and Tryphosa. I, am, I, am I allowed to have favorites? I, I'm going to say I am. That's all right. If I gave you enough time, you could probably figure out how these two women are related to one another. They're twins. You realize we're not the first people in history to give twins similar sounding names? Tryphena and Tryphosa. They're my favorite, not because they're twins and they have rhyming names, uh, but because there's, there's a play on words that, that exists in the Greek that, that we miss in translation. Notice, notice what he says about them. He says, those workers in the Lord. And, and more specifically, the word for workers means that they work to exhaustion. Their names... Tryphena and Tryphosa mean delicate and dainty. So, so these two women, who by worldly standards are small and of no account, are hard workers for the gospel. And, and in God's strength, they do the work of spreading the gospel for his glory, not for their own. Persis is also a hard worker, and another woman who is called beloved. Of note about her is that Paul changed from the present tense when describing Tryphena and Tryphosa to the past tense when describing Persis. So she's most likely an older saint who gave her youth to working hard for the gospel, but is no longer laboring. And Paul commends her for her hard work. In verse 13, Rufus is called chosen in the Lord. Now we know almost nothing about Rufus. But listen to Mark fifteen twenty one. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Did you know that Mark wrote his gospel in Rome? And so this is most likely the Rufus that Paul talks about. And and if so, what a legacy. His father, Simon of Cyrene, encountered Jesus at the crucifixion. And his family is feeling the effects of that encounter. And Rufus is greeted as a brother in the Lord because of that. And, And his mother also. Paul says that she was also a mother to me and and helped him in his missionary work by being a mother to him. In 14 and 15, Paul ends his personal greetings with, with what is likely two more churches and possibly lists their leadership. And, and in all of these ver- verses then, that brings the total to five churches plus the church at Rome that Paul is greeting and encouraging with this letter. But what do we learn from all of this? 
Hopefully, I've convinced you that each person was crucial to the mission. I think that's confirmed by verse 16 with the greeting. Not necessarily the holy kiss part, uh, which was a common greeting of the day. And and I I grew up in a tradition that practiced the holy kiss. Uh, So if you have any questions, feel free to talk to me afterwards. But when Paul finishes this section by saying, all the churches in Christ greet you, he shows the number of churches involved in supporting Paul. I think this just shows that the mission of the church is the spreading of the gospel. And and each person Paul greeted had a role to play, but so do all of the churches. And guess what? That comes to us today. Paul was going to Spain. But we are going to, to Papua, Indonesia, to Israel, to Germany, to the Amazon, to, to Guatemala, and, and more. Those are not just random places. Those are places that we have missionaries that we support. But, but not only that, we're also going to Lock Haven, and, and Castania, and Mill Hall, and Flemington, and, and Woolrich, and more. And you have a role to play in that. Paul had never been to Rome, to visit this church. But he knew their stories. And, and he knew the people who were helping him in his missionary endeavors. And that was long before the time of email updates. Do you want to know how you can regularly pray for and support our overseas missionaries? Probably the first thing that you could do is talk to the missions team. Find, find Rachel. Find Eugene, find, find Dr. Gray after the service and ask them how you can help our missionaries get the gospel to the people they're ministering to. Or, or what about getting the gospel to our community? I could tell you about our outreach team, get you connected uh, with Jill, with Sierra, the events coming up, the, the trunk or treat fall festival. But there are other things that I would say First. How, how can you take the gospel to our community? First, believe it for yourself. And, and I'm not just talking about cultural Christianity that, that says, I, I'm a Christian, but it has no impact on how I live my life. I believe in Bigfoot, but I've never gone looking for him. The only thing that's different about my life because of my belief in Bigfoot is that I have a pair of socks with Bigfoot fishing on them. And yes, I'm wearing them if you'd like to see them later. But that is not the kind of belief we're after here. If you believe Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came to this earth and lived a perfect life, that he died the death that you deserve to die, then rose from the grave and ascended on high and sent his spirit to live inside of you, you need more than just a pair of socks to prove it. Think of the people Paul listed who worked hard, who risked their necks, who played a role in spreading the gospel. That is the kind of belief we're after. 
the kind of belief that says, I know this is true, and I'm going to live like it no matter what in every area of my life. So believe the gospel and work hard. If you're here this morning and and you would not call yourself a Christian, we want you to consider this call as well. We want you to receive and rest in Jesus for salvation so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could worship God, and so that you could play a part in spreading His glory and His gospel to the nations. If you have questions about that, talk to someone around you, maybe the person you came with, or feel free to find me after the service, and we would love to tell you more about how you can give your life to following Jesus. Second, know and be known by the people around you. We have to realize that we cannot accomplish this goal by ourselves. God has designed the church to put his glory on display and to be the means by which the gospel spreads. So you and I need to know the people around us so that we can encourage them to press on. But we also need to be known by the people around us so that, so that when I need help, when you need help, you know who to reach out to. This may require some good intrapersonal skills. There's one pastor who said it, you should work hard to be a people person. And if you only knew the irony of me telling that to you, <laughs> you would understand that the Holy Spirit has amazing power to make us what we are not. It's not me naturally. And, and it may not be you naturally either. But ask God to help you love people. To help you care for people. To make you willing to hear their stories. And, and you, like me, may not be a people person. But ask God to make you by His Spirit what you are not naturally in yourself. Third, know what you believe and why you believe it. You and I will continually face opposition. So we need to know and be convinced of what we believe. That's one of the goals of of Sunday school. So feel free to take advantage of of that as a resource. Or you can stop by the bookshelf and find many books on several topics. But either way, we need to be sure of what the gospel is. So that we know what gospel we are taking with us to share. So that leads then finally to the last point of application. Go and share it. You encounter people every day who do not know Jesus as Lord. But praise God that you are there. And and what a joy it will be to hear of those who come to Christ through your witness. And tell us about it. We want to hear about it and, and rejoice with you. You may have even seen recently that Mark shared on the listserv a friend of his has come to know Jesus as Lord. And, and that is amazing news that we need to celebrate. And, and news that, that we, hopefully, will hear more and more of as we work hard to spread the gospel.
And remember, it does, in fact, take work. But it is worth whatever risk we take. We have a great risk, a great message, and there's no better way for this message to spread than with the family of God working together to spread the only message that saves. Imagine with me that somehow the Apostle Paul were able to write a letter like Romans to us here at Big Woods. After 15 chapters of of deep doctrine, when he finally gets to the greetings, who from our church do you think he would mention because of their service to the gospel? Or, Or better yet, do you think he would mention you because how you are involved in spreading the gospel? Now, to be sure, we're not after the recognition. But do you think the role that you are playing would be recognized? Because remember, it takes a church to spread the gospel. And you have a role to play. Will you play it? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make it true of us we are all involved in sharing the glorious gospel that has saved us. Empower us by your spirit. Use us for your glory however you see fit. And make us a church that is willing to work hard. We thank you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.